Good morning, everybody. It is truly a privilege to be with all of you and for all those who are uh, live streaming the service right now, too. I know we have some people out of town, some people sick today. Uh, you might be a little surprised to see me preaching. Um, this wasn't necessarily planned. Um, we were supposed to have our, our dear brother, Sidney, was going to be bringing forth the word for us today while uh, my dad and brother were out of town. Um, as for many of you, if you don't know, Sidney planted two churches and has pastored for many years, and so he is well experienced in uh, his uh, presence in the pulpit. So I was very excited to hear him preach, but uh, the poor family came down uh, with, some, with some sickness, so they will not be able to be here. Um, I had been uh, planning this passage for a little bit of time. I've been working through it as it's been um, really meant a lot to me, especially after reading a book by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly, that it was really a wonderful read on Christ's heart towards sinners. Um, and so when we found out that the pulpit was going to be empty, um, my dad and Kirk were deciding if one of them should cut their, their trip short and come down, and I let them know, well, I'm going to be coming back already. Why don't we just tighten up this passage a little bit? And so my dad had helped me uh, get this prepared today. Um, so if there's anything good, I'll take credit for that. And if there's anything bad, then we'll say that was his part of the passage. No. Um, but so that it, there's a little bit, it might be a little bit shorter of a sermon. Um, I'm glad there was no amens to that. Uh, so it might be a little bit shorter. It may not be as deep as we're used to, but uh, we take great comfort knowing that whenever God's word is proclaimed and his gospel goes out, it does not return void. And so before we jump into the passage, in light of that, there was a, a brief story uh, that I had heard recently that I would like to share with you all um, in light of the circumstance of our service today. Um, in the 1800s, there was a young man who was about 15 years old who was raised in a Christian home, who was brilliant, who was kind of a child prodigy. At 15 years old, he was already an instructor at a college, um, but he did not know Christ, and he so desperately wanted to know Christ but did not uh, know him yet and was not saved. And one day, he was um, walk, returning in the winter from his college to his home, and it was, it was on a Lord's Day, and so he wanted to stop by and go to church that day. And so he was passing by a town and decided to stop by this church. But the snowstorm was so severe that there were only a handful of members in the church. And it was so severe that the, the main pastor couldn't even make it to the service. So they had uh, an old, feeble, I think it was a cobbler, came up and, uh, and basically preached the sermon. And he didn't um, really know much. He hadn't prepared a passage, so he kind of rambled for 10 minutes on a certain passage. Um, and the young man looked at him and thought, well, he's, he's very uneducated. He has no idea what he's talking about. Um, but as that man, as he was preaching, proclaimed the passage, if you look unto me, that is to Christ, you shall be saved. And after he had rambled on for about 10 minutes uh, with nothing else to exegete from the passage, he kept saying, look unto me and you'll be saved. Look unto me and you'll be saved. And he focused his eyes on the young man and said, young man, you look quite miserable. Look unto Christ and you shall be saved. And that was the moment that the Holy Spirit opened that man's eyes to see his son clearly. And that was the moment that the Holy Spirit opened the eyes to see Christ clearly, that he may repent, believe, and be saved. And it's that moment that that young man was saved. That young man was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He raised in a Christian home, had not known Christ, and it was that moment that the Holy Spirit softened his heart to be saved. So I say that as an encouragement to myself and to all of you, that when God's word is faithfully proclaimed, even if it's a feeble attempt to do so, his word does not return void, and we can take great comfort um, knowing that it is, not, it is not my word that I'm coming to speak. It's not the word of any man that we're coming to hear, but it's God's word alone. So let, let me pray, and let's hear uh, God's word proclaimed. Father, we come before you in great thanks for your mercy. We thank you for the great love that you have shown us, for being a loving Father, 
to enemies, for being a gracious Savior to redeeming us, and for the grace of the Holy Spirit to make our hearts alive. We thank you and we praise you. You are certainly worthy of all of our worship. As we had a chance to sing, your love truly is everlasting and free. And so we praise you for that. We thank you so much for uh, this body and this gathering here today. We thank you that we can open up your word, um, that we have access to it. We pray for all those who are unable to be here. We pray for our dear family, the Capillas, that you would please heal them quickly, that we may be able to be restored to fellowship with them. I pray for my, my grandma, Priscilla, who um, is recovering from the infection she had. I praise you that she is home and resting. I ask that you continue to heal her. Pray for all those who are out of town and traveling and those who may be unwell. I ask that you'd watch over all of them, that we may be able to be reunited soon. Um, I ask that you would use um, someone as inadequate as me to proclaim your word. I am certainly unworthy to do it, but you certainly are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And so I ask that you would use me um, to bring forth such a glorious passage, that you would use me to proclaim the glorious heart of your son, the glorious desire that he has to save and redeem sinners like us. And I ask that you would be with my brothers and sisters as they listen today, that they too would hear um, and they would be greatly encouraged by it and would walk out of these doors with a greater love for you. We love you, Father, and we ask that you would be glorified in this time in your name. Amen. So if you've not already opened your Bibles, please open them to Mark chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 40 through 45. In one of his most famous sermons, the great 20th century preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said that there are no two words more encouraging to the Christian than the words, but God. Those two words come from Paul's epistle in the Ephesians, in Ephesians 2.4, and in that passage, uh, Paul is speaking of man's sinful state and the wickedness of the human heart against God. It is then that the apostle says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And while those two words are beyond encouraging, and they do bring about a great amount of hope for the Christian, I would like to examine two other words that I think are equally encouraging, uttered by our Lord himself. His two words to the leprous man, I will, reveal the very love, compassion, and heart of Christ towards sinners. It is in this passage that we see not just another healing by Christ, but we get to pull back the curtain and see the very deep desire by our Savior to restore the soul of the sinner. It is not his mere ability to heal that is extraordinary, although that is too, but it is the motive behind the healing that is most extraordinary and most encouraging to sin-stricken mankind. So the theme of this sermon is quite simple. Christ is able and willing to restore broken sinners. Christ is able to, and he is willing to restore broken sinners. And we'll see this in three points. One, the diseased heart. Two, the willing heart. And three, the restored heart. Uh, in a day and an age when many in our Reformed circles and in the churches focus on the holiness of God and obedience to his commands or strict theological doctrine, we often forget or neglect to focus on the deep love that Christ has for us. Uh, one of the primary reasons of that is usually in light of the prevalent teaching found in many of the gospel light churches or false gospel churches that only talk about love or even will say things like, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life 
all while neglecting to address matters like God's holiness, man's sin, and our need for a Savior. And while the reform response that we have is, is good in wanting to teach those neglected doctrines, we certainly don't want to swing the pendulum too far and neglect to teach about the glorious truths that God does indeed love us, even when we're here as enemies, and that Christ's heart is moved deeply to save, restore, and draw in broken and decrepit sinners. So my hope for you in light of this passage is that you would be so moved by the deep love and willing heart of Christ in making you alive that you too, like the leper, would be moved with great joy and proclaim his great mercy. So let's jump into, um, let's jump into the passage. Um, it is actually important before we do so to give a brief context of where and when this miracle occurs. The healing of the leper is recorded in the other two synoptic gospels, Matthew and Luke. And it's from Matthew 8 that we get a better idea of when this takes place in Christ's ministry. Christ had just finished preaching the famous Sermon on the Mount and was coming down from that mount with a large crowd when this occurs. So we read in Matthew 8, 1 and 2, When he, that's Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So this is so relatively early in Christ's ministry. According to the chronology of Matthew's gospel, he had already been baptized by John, had endured his temptation in the wilderness, has called, had called his first few disciples, which at that point were minimally Peter, James, John, and Andrew. He had begun to teach of the coming kingdom and was performing many signs and miracles. And in light of the great following he was receiving, he preached the Sermon on the Mount to that large crowd. And it was after all that, when he was coming down from the mount, that this encounter with the leper occurs. So let's jump right in. Point number one, the diseased heart. I call your attention again to verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. What we see here is this man afflicted with the skin disease of leprosy coming to Christ and petitioning his healing. Leprosy is a skin disease that would often manifest itself in areas of the skin that would look like horrible sores. The hair around it would turn white, and the flesh would often become raw. This wasn't a normal skin blemish like acne or eczema that we may experience today. This was a disease that would eat away at the flesh and would leave large sections of what looked like open wounds and could potentially lead to horrible nerve damage in your hands and your feet. It could lead to paralysis and even blindness. It was often called and coined the living death. But the most tragic thing of all for the one who was afflicted with this disease is that they were considered unclean in Israel. And because of this, they were put outside of the people of God. For those who remember their Old Testament law in Leviticus 13, God gives strict instructions on how one ought to deal with lepers in Israel. To be clear, it wasn't the case that if someone had some spot on their skin, they'd be immediately cast out of Israel. But rather, there was a great uh, process in making sure that um, they weren't just casting people out, that it was to make sure that it was actually leprosy. If there was a concern about potential leprosy, an individual would appear before a priest to have the area of skin examined. If it wasn't clear, they would go into a waiting or a quarantine period for seven days. After that time, they would be examined again. If it was fading, then he would wash his clothes and he'd be considered clean. If the priests were unsure about the mark on the skin, they would put them back into quarantine and reevaluate another seven days later. This process would continue until the person's disease faded and they were considered clean, or if it began to spread and the person was considered unclean. 
And when a person was considered unclean from leprosy, Leviticus 13, 45, and 46 states this, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. For someone to be deemed a leper was a tragic thing. Being deemed unclean meant this person was outside the camp of Israel. They couldn't work. They couldn't be with their family. And they couldn't worship God. They sometimes lived in leper camps. But even within the camps, they lived alone and were isolated until the disease either subsided or until the individual died. It is no wonder why they called it the living death. This is the tragic state in which we find this poor man coming to Christ. It is likely that he has had the disease for some time as he is so desperate to be rid of it. He is so desperate to be healed from the disease. He is alone and he is cast out of the people of God. Does that sad state sound familiar? That is the state of all mankind before God. We too have all been infected by the disease of sin. Our hearts are impure, stricken with death, and afflicted with the leprous effects of sin. Ever since Adam and Eve ate from that tree in the garden, all of mankind has been made unclean. The fruit that falsely promised life and likeness to God instead infected the human heart with the leprosy of sin. And like the leper who was cast out of the camp of Israel, mankind was cast out of the presence of God. Like the leper whose life was a living death, unable to make himself clean, so too the sinner experiences a living death on earth, unable to restore himself heal himself, or save himself. This is why sinful man is unable to dwell in the presence of God. Psalm 24, 3 and 4, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. There is no one who can ascend the hill of the Lord, and no one who can enter into his presence, because there is no one who has clean hands nor a pure heart. Now you may say, that is not me. I have a clean hands, I have a pure heart. But Paul makes it very clear in Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We are sinful through and through. Like the leper plagued with his flesh-eating disease, we are plagued with the soul-eating effects of sin and death. So what does this man in our passage do? Does he remain helpless, or does he seek a remedy? Does he decide to wallow in his grief, in his sadness, or does he decide to take action? He knows that he cannot heal himself, but he's been hearing a lot about this man named Jesus who has the ability to heal the sick. He must have thought, certainly this man can heal me too, but would Jesus heal a man like this? This man was a leper, an outcast, and one who's not supposed to go even, he's not supposed to even go near other people, lest he make them unclean as well. But this man was desperate. He was so desperate. He was desperate to escape his state of uncleanliness. 
So he ventures to see Christ and plead for healing. When he approaches Christ, a great crowd is still following Jesus, but the leper remains undeterred. If the crowd had recognized him as a leper, they very likely would have gasped, backed up, or maybe even shouted threats at him to stay away, lest they too be made unclean. But this man was not concerned about the reaction of the crowd, but only the attention of the one person who could restore him. Look down in verse 40. We read again that the leper came to Christ, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. This man came and begged Christ to be healed. He begged him. The parallel passages in Matthew and Luke say the leper knelt and fell on his face and begged Christ to restore him. And you can understand why. This is a man who's been unclean for some time. He's been away from his family for some time. He's been unable to work, unable to worship, or unable to be a part of the community of God's people. This is the one chance of being restored and living a normal life, and so he does not want to miss it. But what I find most fascinating about this poor man's request is not that he's asking if Christ can heal him. He does not ask if he will heal him. The man believes that Christ has the ability to heal him. Instead, he asks if Christ is willing to heal him. He does not doubt his ability, but he asks if he is willing. This man, likely in tears, appeals to the very desire rather than the power of Christ to heal him. He comes with great faith in the ability of Christ and asks if Christ is willing to help him. Our leper was incredibly desperate. He could not restore himself nor make himself clean. He needed someone who was able to restore him, and Christ was that person. My friends, the same is true for the sinner. There is nothing that we can do in order to make ourselves clean or fit for God. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. Our lives apart from Christ are truly a living death. We need someone to make us alive. We need someone to make us alive. We need someone to heal our diseased heart. We need someone to remove the stain of sin from our hands, our feet, our tongues, our eyes, our ears, all of who we are. Jesus Christ is the only one who has the power to heal the sinner. Heart, mind, body, soul. He is the only one who has the power to do that. Like the famous hymn writer Augustus Toplady wrote, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. The question is not our need, nor Christ's ability, but his willingness. Will he heal sinners and make us clean? Is he willing to restore us and make us new? Let's look at point number two, the willing heart. Let's pick up again in verse 41. Move with pity, he, that's Christ, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. To me, this is one of those verses in Scripture that is completely and utterly 
mind-boggling. But it is so easy to read right past it. At first glance, you may just read it as another miraculous healing by Christ to someone in need, which, again, is extraordinary in its own measure, that Christ had the ability to heal this man. But what makes this passage particularly powerful is that this gives us a glorious glimpse into the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning of verse 41, it says that Christ was moved with pity. Here Christ sees this man horribly afflicted by this disease, and he is moved with pity. Other translations say he was filled with compassion towards him. He wasn't repulsed by the ugliness of the man's disease, nor the potential to be made unclean. Rather, he was brokenhearted by the man's miserable state, as an image-bearer of God, ruined by the effects of sin. Other translations still say that Christ was indignant or angry when he saw the man. And that may seem a little surprising, but it was not an anger towards the man. But rather, he was angered by the ravishing effects of sin that mutilated and brought about intense suffering upon his creation and upon his precious image bearer. But Christ's pity was not merely a sad feeling for the poor state of man. Christ's pity culminated in the action of his restoration of our leper. We read that Christ, in verse 41, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Christ, despite all the cultural norms of the day and even the warnings in God's law, was filled with compassion, moves towards the man and touches his disease-ridden flesh. And he utters some of the most glorious words ever spoken. I will be clean. Christ was indeed willing. His heart yearned and desired to heal this man of faith, and so he did. The cleansing was immediate. It was effective and completely restorative in nature. Time and time again, we see this theme of Christ being moved with compassion and pity for the affliction of his people. And again, it is a pity that is moved to action on behalf of the sinner to restore them. In Luke 7, 11 through 17, when Christ witnessed the widow's son who had just died, we read this, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he healed her son and raised him from the dead. In Matthew 14, 14, before Christ fed the 5,000, we read, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. He saw the crowd and their helplessness, and he was moved with pity, and so he healed them and granted their requests. And in Luke 15, Christ tells the parable of the prodigal son, which I believe sums up the heart he has towards sinners to restore and heal them best. In the parable, there's a man with two sons. One demands that his father give him all that belongs to him, and once he receives it, he squanders it in reckless living. And as you know, the son soon finds himself much like the leper, living alone. He's helpless. He's starving, and he's feeding pigs, desiring to eat what the pigs eat. And like the leper, he realizes his sad state of affairs and realizes that the only one who could restore him is his father. So the son returns to his father. He returns to him like the leper in humility, 
broken by sin, asking to be received back not as a son, but as a lowly servant. He, like the leper, knows his father is able to help him, but he doesn't know if his father is willing to help him. Was the father willing to help his son? We read in Luke 15, verses 20 through 24. And he, the son, arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. My dear family, the same compassion that moved Christ to heal our leper he has for sinners like us. And the most glorious thing about this account with the leper is that Christ moves to bring about restoration to all those who come to him in repentance and faith. As we have already seen, we are too just like the leper, except being afflicted with, instead of being afflicted with a, a skin disease, we are afflicted with the disease of sin and death. But just as the leper found hope of restoration in the willing heart of Christ, so too does the sinner find hope of healing, salvation, and restoration through Christ. And just as the father, moved with compassion, ran to embrace and restore his prodigal son, so does the father's compassion rush to restore those who put their faith in his son. How willing was Christ to restore a sinful man? How willing was he to make sinners like us clean? So willing was Christ that the same gentle hands that stretched out to cleanse the leper were stretched out and nailed to the cross. The same unblemished one who restored the leper's skin had his skin torn from his back. And the same good shepherd, moved with pity for his rejected and outcast sheep, was himself rejected and cast out of the presence of God and of God's people so that we could be received and dwell in the presence of God and his people forever. Out of a deep love and strong compassion for the lost, Christ voluntarily ascended the cross to take the punishment our spiritual leprosy deserved. He died on our behalf and rose victoriously on that glorious third day so that we too could rise victoriously with him. He restored us so that we would have new life in him. He cleansed us so that we could be welcomed in. Oh, how glorious that is. Because of Christ's perfect and complete sacrifice for sin, we are able to, as Hebrews 10.22 says, we're able to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies are washed with pure water. So my call to you is simple. Have you, like the leper, come to Christ and begged to be cleansed from your sins? Have you, through repentance and faith, sought the glorious salvation offered by our Lord and Savior? He is able to save all those who come to him. He desires to save all those who come to him. Hear the words of Peter in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness 
but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The day of judgment is fast approaching. If you have not put your trust in Christ, do so today. Do not even wait another second. Don't wait for me to even finish this message. Put your trust in Christ today. Why would you wait and reject the abundant love and compassion offered to you by Christ? Why deny the love and life that he so freely offers? Hear the words of the famed hymn as your call to repent and believe. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. If you're waiting for a time that's better to come to Christ, now's the time that's better to come to Christ. Do not wait another second. Christ came not to redeem righteous because there is no one who is righteous. He came to redeem sinners like us. He desires to redeem sinners like us. He stands ready to save. Come to him. Come to him. Why would you not want to be loved by Christ? His love is tender. His love is compassionate. His love is everlasting. Everyone wants to be loved like this. It is the most amazing kind of love that we would say, amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? Unclean sinners is who he died for so that we could be restored. So how do you know that your heart has been made clean? How do you know your diseased heart has truly been changed by Christ and you now have a new heart? Point number three, the restored heart. Let's look at our passage in verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he, that's the leper, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So our leper friend received the miraculous healing that he so deeply desired. His body was immediately restored and he was made clean. Christ then gives him two directives. Say nothing and go make an offering. Say nothing and go make an offering. The second directive for him to show himself to the priest and make an offering was quite normal and was in accordance with the law according to Leviticus 13 and Leviticus chapter 14. However, the first directive Christ commanding the leper to say nothing may seem a bit strange. Why would Christ tell the leper to stay silent in light of such a glorious healing? Wouldn't he want others to know about this miracle so that they too may believe the gospel and be saved? Christ himself did say, if you're not going to believe my words, believe the works that I do. Why would he not want this glorious miracle to be known? As mentioned previously, this was still relatively early in Jesus' ministry. And as such, his time had not yet come. He had already accumulated a large gathering of people, many of whom thought that he would be the one to defeat the Romans and be made king. 
because of this, there were talks of forcing him to become king, as we see in John chapter 6. But Jesus said many places to go and much more to teach before he would ascend the cross on our behalf. And so he tells the man simply to keep quiet and follow the Old Testament commandment. Yet what I find most extraordinary about this part of the passage is the leper's response. Instead of remaining silent, he proclaims freely of his healing. Why would this man disobey such a gracious healer? Christ told him very clearly, say nothing to anyone, but go and make your offering and show yourself to the priest. And that was in keeping accordance with the Old Testament laws. But this man proclaims to everyone and anyone of his healing. Why would this man disobey his gracious healer? The better question would be, how could he not proclaim this to anyone? How could he not proclaim this to every single person he meets as he's walking down the street? Look, I've been made clean. Look, I was once dirty. Now I'm clean. How could he not? This was a man who was an outcast, rejected, unclean, and in a constant state of suffering. But now he's clean. Now he's welcomed back into God's community. Now he's restored to a life of family and friends. And most importantly and most gloriously, now he's able to enter the temple and worship God again, which he was unable to do previously. His life had been so radically changed by the work of Christ that he could do nothing else but proclaim the great compassion and restoration that he had received. It was impossible for him not to proclaim Jesus' name. He had to tell others of the great compassion and mercy that Christ had on him. He was not being disobedient, nor was he trying to force Jesus' hand or trying to force him to become king. Rather, the loving heart of Christ compelled him to proclaim the good news of the gospel, the good news that he had received and been made clean. So in closing, my question to you is this. Are you unable to remain silent? Are you unable to remain silent? Are you proclaiming Christ boldly like the leper because of what Christ has done for you? You see, unlike the cleansed leper who was told not to say anything, that is not the case for us. Christ's work on the cross has been completed, and therefore he's commanded us to go into all nations, proclaiming the gospel, telling all people of the cleansing and restoring power of the Savior. So when you look at your life, be honest. Are you living like the cleansed leper? Are you proclaiming the gospel unashamedly to the lost? Are you living as someone who has been so radically changed by the outpouring of love and mercy from the willing heart of Christ? If not, I say this with all love, it may mean that you've never received the love and mercy. It may mean that you've not received the love and mercy of Christ that he showed to this leper. It may mean that you've never truly been cleansed from your sins. And if that's the case, then repent and seek Christ today and receive that love and mercy he so willingly and graciously offers. You may say, I, I don't follow it perfectly, I don't follow it well. I want to serve, I want to proclaim more. I want to be like this leper. And if you find yourself struggling to proclaim the gospel or afraid to do so, remember back to when you were dead in your sins before Christ came and made you alive. Remember the great pity that he had towards you. Remember the great compassion he showed towards you when you fell before his feet in repentance and faith. Remember how his nail-pierced hands reached out and touched your heart to make it alive. 
remember the great love with which he loves you and holds you so dearly. In light of that great love, as you look back and you remember the work that he's done in your life, in light of that, go and proclaim his love to those who have yet to receive it. Church family, there are so many around us and around the world who are broken and suffering just like the poor leper. So many who live lives of rejection, isolation, and hopelessness. We read some of the most tragic facts last week in our prayer furnace of those around the world who've never heard the gospel, who never know the name of Jesus, never heard the name of Jesus before. There are so many in our own backyard who have never heard the good news, who don't know anything about Christianity except Christ's name as a cuss word. There are so many around us who are living lives of complete brokenness, incredible suffering, and hopelessness, and being alone. And the worst part is they go through their life never knowing that there is hope of salvation. Christ came and redeemed us so that we would go and offer healing and restoration to those people. I love the motto of my seminary, because he came, we go. Because Christ came and he redeemed us and he made us clean, we as cleansed people therefore go out and we proclaim the gospel to the lost. We go because there are so many who are hopeless, who are unclean, remain unclean, and who are bound to go to hell if they do not hear the gospel, repent, believe, and be saved. Because Christ came, we go. It should be our heart's desire because of the heart that Christ had towards us. So I ask you this. Will you go and testify to the great love that you have been shown? Will you live as one who has received the compassion of the Savior? Christ is indeed able, and he is indeed willing to restore broken sinners. That is Christ's heart. Is it your heart too? Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you so much that your heart and the heart of your Son was willing to redeem sinners like us. That as we had a chance to sing when we were once your enemy, you've restored us and now brought us into your, at your table where we feast with you and we get to enjoy your presence. I ask that you would forgive me I ask that you'd forgive my brothers and sisters here for being unwilling to share this great love with the lost. And I ask, Father, that you would be um, gracious to remind us of the great love with which you loved us. That you remind us of how you came to us when we were unclean, and we were dead. We were completely dead, and you came to us, and you made our heart alive. You showed us our sin. And through repentance and faith, you so willingly and graciously gave us life. Remind us of that. Remind us that it was nothing of our own doing. It was no work that we did, no religion we practiced that brought about this restoration. But it was you and your grace and mercy alone. Remind us of that and use that to motivate us in our proclamation to the lost. Father, I ask that you would please uh, be gracious to make your word, this glorious passage, known today to my brothers and sisters here, to those watching on the live stream or listening on the recording. I ask that you would make your word grow deep despite my many inadequacies in bringing it forth. I ask that you'd be gracious to um, 
show my brothers and sisters and give them a great deep love for you as a result of the great deep love that you've shown towards all of us. We praise you and thank you, and we adore you for your precious heart. We praise you for loving sinners like us, and I ask that you would have that shape us all of our days and all that we say and do for your glory in your name. Amen.